I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. Welcome, everybody, to Lit Libations. We've had a little bit of a break, so we are excited to be back. Hi, Sadie. Yes, we are. Hi. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for your patience, everybody. We had some, like, different work obligations and just life got in the way. So hope that means you all had time to read The Mothers by Britt Bennett. I'm so excited to talk about it. This was a great novel and so timely and... Just, I really liked it. And also, if you haven't read her novel, The Vanishing Half, did you read that, Sadie? I did. I did. Um, Okay. Yeah, that's, so this is her debut novel. And then The Vanishing Half came out 2020, I think, and, Mm -hmm. or maybe late 2019. I can't quite remember the exact date. But that one, I mean, that one was a major, major hit. I think she won quite a few awards for that one. Um, And this one, I think, as her debut novel is kind of amazing to me, like, so she started she I read that she started to write this book at the age of 17 and she just Really? Yes, she wrote this. She started writing this when she was the same age as the main character Nadia Turner and that she had worked on it. She just had it on the back of her plate basically all through the end of high school and through college. And then she picked it back up and I think she was 26 when it was published. Or something like that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy how long she'd worked on this. And I just think it's such a spectacular debut. I actually, I personally enjoyed this more than The Vanishing Half, I think. Um, I think it's amazing. So I'm really excited to talk about it. I liked both. I don't know if I could say I liked one more than the other. But I think they really both gave a different feel. And yeah, I... I didn't like uh, rereading like or reading this. Pardon me, the mothers. I didn't compare it to I, the vanishing half, which was nice. Um, yeah, she's got a very unique voice. I really liked it. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. So hopefully, you all had a chance to read it since we had quite a bit of a break in between. Um, but before we get into it, so our next book that we will be we will be discussing uh, mm-hmm. for two episodes is Woman of Light by Kali Fajardo Astin. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is her debut novel. She wrote a collection of short stories called Sabrina and Karina, which I have read and which are phenomenal, all set in Denver. Um, but the novel um, Woman, of, Woman of Light is set in Denver in like the 1930s. It also has some flashbacks to some times before, kind of in the Lost Territory area. I'm excited to talk about this novel. I'm excited about this author. Mm-hmm. It's really good. So hopefully you guys go pick up a copy from your local bookstore um, or from bookshop.org and get reading on that. Um, so that's what we'll be discussing next. So that'll be for the next two episodes after this one. Yes. Um, okay. Also real quick, not that this is any really part of the podcast that we do, but I have been watching or I've watched this show, and I've been recommending it to everybody. Oh, is it The Bear? Oh, my God, Sadie. It's so good. Okay, so I so you texted me about it. I have yet I did. to start it. I texted it. you about this, and I've texted you about another novel, which I will also bring up. Which, by I've the way, really I busy. picked up. 
Which, by the way, you got I got Joan. I did. I did got Joan. I did get okay, everybody. <laughs> you have to get this novel, Joan, by Catherine Chen. So I picked it up because it seemed interesting to me. And also Hillary Mantle, who, if you don't know, we're obsessed, obsessed with, with Hillary Mantle, <laughs> gave a blurb about it and it was on the cover. But it's it's like a it's a historical fiction about Joan of Arc. It's so good. Mm-hmm. So like I cannot wait to hear what you thought about it, Sadie, because it is I finished this book in like three days. I was so obsessed with it. It's so, I so, haven't, so good. I haven't started it yet, but I did pick it up. I picked it up yesterday, actually. So I'm it's next on my to be read list. Really good. I don't know if we'll do it on the podcast, you guys, because we're we're always like we're kind of thinking forehead of like what we want to be doing. And we've already kind of done some historical fictions, but it's really it's really good. I recommend picking it up. I also just recently finished The Cat's Table by Michael Andante. I don't know how to quite say his his name correctly. He wrote The English Patient, which I know got a lot of press and they had the movie. And this one's really good. It's like this boy. Who, it's called the cat's table because that's what the table is called that is farthest away from the captain's table on ships, oh. like on cruiser ocean liners. Um, so it's like set in the 1950s, this 11-year-old boy from like Sri Lanka area who's traveling to England. Really good. I finished that one really quickly too, but it's a really, really good book. I definitely recommend that one as well. Um, so yeah, we've been reading a lot of good stuff you guys and the bear you have to watch the bear you guys it's on hulu it's like an fx show jeremy allen white i think is his name stars in it he used to be in that tv show shameless yes and he is a world-renowned chef who moves back to chicago to run his family's kind of like chicago dog eatery after Mm -hmm. his brother has committed suicide i just think the acting in it is phenomenal phenomenal the characters are great the writing is great they're 30 minute episodes and it got renewed for a second season oh nice i i really like this show okay. like i've All been right. telling everybody about it so you know, i'm gonna tell my- i'm gonna tell brian that we have to start it like asap this week and the next time we record mm-hmm. i will tell you how I I, want, i'll give you an I, update. yes i want i want a report on it i want a book report movie report on it okay i can do that for you um what are you drinking oh (laughs) i (laughs) i'll go first so i made this like i don't i don't know so i was at a birthday party before this for your family and your sister overserved me some sauvignon blanc (laughs) audra's drunk (laughs) kind of man it doesn't take much anymore so i'm sorry everybody but no i made like a frozen lychee drink so it's lychees uh-huh. And I have I had some fresh lychees a couple days ago, but I ate them all. I love lychee; they're like one of my favorite fruits. So it's canned lychees, but it's canned lychees and some coconut milk and rum and Ooh. ice. And I just blended those up, and then I stuck to real lychees in here, and that's what I'm drinking. That and it's sounds really, really good. Yeah, that sounds amazing. That mm-hmm. sounds very fresh. It's p- good that you are drinking that. It sounds like it's going to keep you cool in the hot Utah it's- weather. It is hot. What is it like where you are? I can't believe we're you know what we're in. How old are we? I know we're so we're in like a major heat wave. I'm like sweating my ass off. Like what's a major heat wave? I mean here it's really humid, but it's like I want to say today got up to like ninety three or something. Which I know you guys Salt Lake City hit like one hundred seven. We don't have we don't have the humidity as much. I mean it's a little humid in the mornings. Like when I go ride in the morning, it's like it's. I'm sweaty. It's not. Yeah. It's not pretty. But yeah, it's hot. 
It's hot. It's so hot. I'm glad you're keeping it cool. I am – Brian made me a cocktail again this week because he is a lovely saint, and I thank him because I'm still working on upping my game. I know you said you weren't going to give me shit, but I I'm, I'm upping my game anyway because the pressure's on. Um, and also it's delicious, so no regrets. I am This is having, how guilt works, by the way. This is This is how guilt works is it makes you do better without me having to do anything because I guilted you enough – that it sustains itself. This is why guilt is such an effective tool. Oh my god! Uh, with parenting, religion, uh-huh, business. I uh-huh. mean, it's it's there for a reason. But yeah. yeah. Okay, go ahead. Anyway, uh, so what did, what did Brian make you, Sadie? He made me a. I don't really know what to call it. It's gin, and it is simple just gin. syrup. It's just give you I think. I want to say it's gin and simple syrup and a little bit of lime, and then it's muddled with blackberry and mint that's why it's red because it's really it's it's very pink red. it's a very vibrant color yes yeah it's and it's in this very nice coop and it's very fresh and delicious so thank you well, brian for nice. your contributions to the podcast via my drink yes well done brian he's putting in more effort than you so well done congratulations <laughs> hey i'm when reading the books to- that's that's more effort than I'm it is to make the a books cocktail and making the drinks. Well, you are okay. the overachiever of the podcast. We all know that's this. True. That's true. It's how I it's how I attain self worth. Yeah, so it's fine. Um, okay, <laughs> so shall we get? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it is true. We've talked about that before. Oh, Lordy. Good thing I have therapy on Tuesday. Um, Okay, so should we get into The Mothers by Britt Bennett? Do you want to give everybody a little bit of a summary? Sorry, guys. We've realized that the last couple of episodes, we've just kind of like started talking about it. We just get too excited and we just get in and then we realize, hey, maybe this person actually is really confused about what we're talking about. Well, maybe if you read the damn books. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I will give... A summary because oh, I think it is sorry. helpful. Oh, sorry. Real quick. I have to give one other recommendation. So oh, so okay. my husband and I, so Kendrick, we went to Vegas last week. We drove down for a cigar and tobacco convention. So I downloaded an audiobook so that I could listen to it while we were in the car because I didn't know what everybody else was going to do. And I can't trust everybody else's taste in music. So I was like, I got to have my own thing to listen to. So I downloaded this book and it's called Vladimir. Okay. And I'm going to put up, I'm going to put up, hold on. Why is my computer not working? I'm going to figure out who the author is, and I'm mad that I don't have it right off the top of my head. So I haven't finished it quite yet, but you guys, it's really good. And I heard about it from, remember when we did Little Rabbit? Yes. So it was recommended through that publishing house, which is called Electric Literature, which you guys, I really recommend you follow um, as a good way to get like some scoop on literature that maybe isn't picked up by like the major publishing houses so it's called vladimir it's by julia may jones it's really good what, so it's like what, this, what is it about so it's like this woman in her 50s and she's an english professor and her husband is an english professor and also like head of the department and he is facing a slew of accusations by former students about relationships that they had which were consensual but now they're saying hey you know because he was in a position of power and we weren't it's an issue so he's like 
it's like in this in-between period before he has this like hearing from the college about that, if he can teach her or not. And she kind of develops this obsession with this new teacher at the college whose name is Vladimir. So he's somewhat younger. And it, it's really interesting because it kind of plays off the whole Lolita. Mm. Mm. Um, okay. Both in the imagery, even on the cover page of the book, which is like this man with his shirt unbuttoned and he's kind of like, his hand is down by his crotch. Like it really plays on wow. this, but it's this older woman who is like kind of obsessed with him. And I have not gotten to the end of the book, but at the voice of the narrator is, I mean, she just draws you in, man. Like it is good. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm And have I don't to do know, this. like, and I love the audio version of it. Like I'm not a huge audiobook person. Not yeah. there's nothing wrong with it. I just just haven't ever done it. But it's it's really like the narrator is great in it. Um, I really like this author. I totally get why like it's so popular. It's really good. So I recommend that, guys. Okay. Anyway, oh my had, gosh, I'm had, so excited. Yeah, had had to get that out of the way. Well, um, I have an Audible credit, so I know what I'm going to use it on now. <laughs> I'm so you, excited. You, seriously, use it on Vladimir. It's okay. a great audiobook. Like the the narrator is great. It's a good story. It's one that's good to listen to like yeah. I feel like some novels I don't connect with as much listening to as I do reading to if that yes. makes sense yes but this one is one that I I totally do it's super fascinating you know and especially if you like it's got enough of the whole like college life but mm -hmm. also I mean and maybe I related to a little bit as I mean I'm not 50 but you know I'm 37 like there's there's things that I related to in that way like it's it's really good I recommend. So I would like to hear your report on okay. Vladimir right. and on the bear. Okay. That's your right. assignment. I'll get Sadie. back to you. I'll get back to you thank very soon. Thank thank you. Hopefully okay. I'll hopefully I'll have that to give to you in person when I see you in a couple weeks. I know, I'm so excited, you guys. It's it's, it's gonna be Sadie and I will be together. The universe will explode. It's gonna be the best. Okay, back to The Mothers by Britt Bennett. Um, so just a quick uh, introduction to Britt Bennett. I know we've talked about her a little bit, but Britt Bennett graduated from Stanford and earned her MFA in fiction at the University of Michigan, where she won a Hopword Award and a graduate short fiction, as well as the 2014 Hurston Wright Award for college writers. Her work has been featured in The New Yorker, The New York Times Magazine, The Par Paris Review, and Jezebel. Um, something that I think is really interesting about this book before we talk about it, is that Britt Bennett, before she published this book, was kind of known for her essays and um, stuff that she would publish. Specifically, she did a lot of work talking about policing and, mm -hmm. um, like, social and racial justice and injustice in this country. And a lot of her experiences are drawn upon, like, the fact that she grew up in California with very well-to-do, like, successful parents who actually both worked in the criminal justice field at one point. So her mother was like a forensic um, analyst. And then um, her dad was an attorney and he did stuff that was like private. He was a city attorney, but he was also a district attorney, like a deputy district attorney. And in his ten tenure as the deputy DA, he was actually pulled over because he was – like some officers confused him as a suspect for another case and so a lot of her work um is drawn upon those experiences and um 
I think I see a lot of that in this book. This book is really interesting because we'll talk about it, but um, this book isn't, like, specifically about race in the way that, like, The Vanishing Half was, if you read that. Um, But it is something that comes up. But a lot of it is just about, like, living in California as well and these, like, small towns and these communities where everybody kind of knows everybody's business and how that factors in. So with that in mind, this book is about our main character, Nadia uh, Nadia Turner. And she is a beautiful, young uh, black woman in her teens when we start the novel. And she is suffering from grief after her mother commits suicide. She's 17. She's just, just about to graduate or freshly graduated high school, and her mom dies very suddenly. And as she's kind of dealing with that, and then as her dad really withdraws from her, um, she she kind of skips school and she kind of starts acting out, I guess, a little bit. And mm-hmm. um, she comes across, she goes to, they, I think they live in San Diego, and she goes to the beach a lot and she ends up going to this restaurant where she meets um luke and he is this kind of like hot shot um like ex-football star football star yeah who was like just offered a scholarship but then like he had like a serious sports injury injury and a bum leg and anyway they meet they flirt they get together and they hook up a few times and at one point um, he sneaks into her house and they have sex and she you kind of uses it as this way um, of getting through the pain of like her mother. But they do really – her mother passing, but they do actually really connect. She gets pregnant. And so this book starts off like right away with the fact that she is pregnant. And um, she decides because she's very ambitious, she wants to leave. She wants to accomplish things. She wants to be an attorney. She wants to see the world. Um, she decides that she doesn't want this baby. And so she goes to him. She decides that she's going to get an abortion. He agrees that he's going to pick her up, but he does not. So she is. she hasn't really communicated to anybody else in her life that she was pregnant and that she was going to get an abortion. So she's left at this abortion clinic feeling very judged by everybody around her, very alone. And um, she ends up having to be driven home and is obviously hurt and frustrated because while he paid for the abortion, he, you know, she needed like emotional support during that time. And so that happens. She, she goes through all that and then she kind of confronts him and he's kind of an asshole to her and is basically like, I gave you the money, get out of my face. And then come to find out, um, he was actually very upset about the fact that she wanted to get an abortion. He kind of felt like hopeful, like he wanted this baby possibly and he is the son of a pastor and a pastor's wife and they're very involved in this church and he is pressured to pay for it so the pastor and his wife pay for the abortion and Nadia ends up leaving she like develops a good friend friendship with this girl Aubrey who is kind of the opposite of her she's very religious like very pious and we find out that a lot of that stems from the fact that she was sexually abused by her mother's boyfriend at when she was a kid 
for a lot of years and her mother did not help her do anything. So she she now at the time that she meets um, Nadia, she lives yeah, with her sister. this is all set in Southern California, which I love yeah. too. Like I, yeah. I went to school in San Diego. It's all set in like Oceanside, mm-hmm. like kind of Northern San Diego area, which sorry to interrupt with it, but mm-hmm. like I think is so interesting because I've, I've read that, like, in interviews, she said that pe- Britt Bennett has said that people are like, oh, why isn't, wasn't this set in the South? Or this yes. or that. It's like, black people are everywhere, people. Yes. Like, this is not, like, and, and it's so Like, it true. doesn't have and to be Harlem, and it doesn't have to be the South. Yeah. It doesn't have to be Atlanta or somewhere outside of Georgia. And it, yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be Harlem or, like, Chicago. Like, black people are everywhere. And, yeah. she, and it's set in, like, a military. I mean, San Diego is a very military area her father is a marine Mm -hmm. um and that's why they are there and but there's also i mean yes this is not that's the thing it's so easy it's i think it's easy for us to set certain regions as certain ethnicities and not understanding yeah so um i loved i loved like the san diego references and the references with like military families Mm -hmm. and because Mm -hmm. that adds a whole nother layer to it but anyway continue well and it and it like is really relevant especially as the story goes on so um anyway aubrey doesn't really tell anybody that this is her history but she's like very pious they become very very good friends very close like they share a bed for a long time until Nadia goes yeah. away to college. They really lean on each other. And they continue to be friends and lean on each other. As the years go by, Aubrey and Luke connect. And they do not communicate to each other, really, that they have this other connection through Nadia. Like, they both know that the other person knows Nadia, but neither of them are aware Um Aubrey never yeah, finds I mean, out. Luke until never shares his history with Nadia. As Nadia far as, never like, says she got a relationship that yeah. they had an abortion, and Nadia doesn't share that with Aubrey. But then Luke and Aubrey develop kind of this relationship that almost was the could have been yes. of Nadia and Luke, and they develop a relationship and they get married, mm-hmm. and not um, Aubrey becomes pregnant with Luke's child, and Nadia mm-hmm. is still close with. Aubrey through all of this, and then Nadia and Luke have an kind of starting to, yeah. Uh, Nadia moves back after she's living in Michigan, going to school, going to law school. She has relationship, she has a whole life. She moves back after her father. He's lifting weights in the backyard, and like uh, as he's bench pressing, like it falls on him, and so she moves back to take care of him, and kind of permanently settles there for a time, and yeah. develops a relationship with Luke. Uh, so they start having an affair. Um, and yeah, we can talk more about it when we get into it, but the, the novel basically ends with the affair being brought to light. Aubrey yeah. becomes aware of the affair and she is pregnant with Luke's child and it kind of ends with, there's not really a clear set of what happens. Um, you end with Nadia trying to reconcile with Aubrey and making efforts there and there's communication and the same is true with Luke and Aubrey. Yeah. Um, but there's not really a clear cut of what happens, which I can't wait to talk to you about the ending of it. But I know it's it's so good. So if you had not read it or if you needed a refresher, if it had been a couple weeks, that is what happens in this book. And um, I the I don't know where we should really start, but I think let's talk about that setting, because I think that that is really interesting how you brought up the that interview that she did where she talks about how black people are everywhere 
And so I, I said at the beginning that this book is not explicitly about race, but I think that is what kind of makes it – I found this to be a very, like, progressive and also, like, revolutionary kind of book because it's it's – written the same way that I think books about white people are in the sense that the assumption is that the characters are black. Like when you start, like the way that it's written about, unless explicitly stated that they're white, like the assumption is that they're black and like their blackness is a part of their experience, but it's not like the only part of their experience. And I thought that that was just so nice. Like this is a a book that's about just regular black people that are not supposed to Mm -hmm. be like the example of the black experience well, necessarily like necessarily does that that's make sense? the funny thing no totally the funny thing is like writing or reading about ordinary black people mm-hmm. is actually not ordinary yeah yeah it's extraordinary yeah not because it is not ordinary but because the publishing of it, the writing of it, the acknowledgement of it, like, is. And so that's why these novels make such a impact, if you're willing, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. sucks in a way, but is great. No, and I... I just... I, I think it's really great because it's it's saying that, like, this these stories and these character stories are worth telling, like, because their stories and their lives are interesting and worth telling, and it has nothing... It's not that I want to say that, like, race doesn't have anything to do with it, but it's just that it doesn't have to be – that doesn't have to be the focal point of the story for it to be interesting. Well, and not only is, like, her experience as, like, a black woman and girl um, ordinary and extraordinary, Mm -hmm. but, like, what they're going through is ordinary and extraordinary. Like, Mm -hmm. the whole – I mean, the, the, like, anchor of the novel is the fact that she gets pregnant. yeah. And has an abortion. Again, not anything that is extraordinary. Right. It's not. And her circumstance is not. Right. She wasn't raped. This wasn't, I mean, nothing about this is extraordinary, but it's being written about, so it is. Right. Yes. Um, And I I think it was really, I mean, great timing, obviously, with everything that's going on in the country, but like it it's written about in such a affecting way. I love how she writes about the clinic that she goes to mm-hmm. and the, and the nurse that helps her and her experience, but it's not like, that's the whole thing is it's, it's just a part of her life that she keeps living, you know, and well, it's, it's something that's always affected and it's always there, but it's not, it doesn't define her. Yes. And I don't think it defines the novel. It's not a defining moment of the novel. I think the more defining moments are the relationships, as it should be. It's the relationships with her and Aubrey and Mm -hmm. her and Luke and Luke and Aubrey and Nadia and her father and the mothers, which is what this is even about with like this chorus. It's like this Greek chorus of women who are these elderly black women in, in this church and their viewpoints and their... Their observations. Yeah. Yeah. They're this this Greek chorus every few chapters of like life and their life and the others' lives and how they see it. And, you know, Nadia becomes much more involved in their lives after she has moved back um, to take care of her father. She, 
uses her father's truck to drive around and help these women and help the community. And I loved that aspect of it. Like that. I, the idea of not the idea in this novel, the reality of this church and what it is, how it's a community. It's not just about this religion. I mean, Really, the religion part is hardly talked about. Oh, right. It's, I mean, yeah, the, like Christianity is not so much a thing. It's more of like the community. But I will say like as much as like it is supportive and helpful for a lot of characters, there is a really – there's so much realism here in the sense that it also shows the oppressiveness and also the like the pressures and the hypocrisy. So like I talked about um, – with the summary of the fact that this church and this community community are morally against abortion, and yet it's the pastor and his wife that basically pay this girl off to get an abortion, even though she'd made the decision, but, like, they funded it. They wanted to just get her kind of out of their way, out of their hair. And, um, well, and then it's the end. It's the revealing yeah. of the fact that that happened. That is the downfall of the pastor and his wife, and they yeah. like it becomes this big scandal in the community, and the church is no more yeah. really because because of all of this being revealed. So it's it's also that that idea of the secrecy of it and the hiddenness of it, and the I mean, there's a dark shadow. There's a lot of secrecy and shame. Like something that I think is really interesting about the way that this book is written is how seamlessly it kind of floats between Luke and Nadia and Aubrey. And the way that they talk about each other um, and the way that we know things that they obviously don't know. So, like, there are multiple times that Aubrey is thinking about, um, like, who this person was that Luke had impregnated. Because at one point he does confess to her that, oh, I got a girl pregnant. She got an abortion. Mm -hmm. And they have – but he never tells her who it was. And he kind of plays it off like it was just some girl. And so – you know, when she's with Nadia, who is also thinking about her history with Luke, sometimes in the same room, like they're both thinking about it, but neither of them knows that the other person knows or she doesn't know that it's that person. And so there's, you know, these are tight, close relationships, but there's still so much that's hidden. Aubrey has a lot of shame and a lot of, um, like, I mean, the thing is, is that these traumas are private. So I'm not trying to say that they should have just told each other these things that happened to them. But I do think that, like, Nadia not sharing her abortion with her best friend is tied to some of the shame and guilt. And I don't want to say that she has regrets. I don't think she does. But I like that this book doesn't just, like, write it off like it never happened to her. It is something that still comes up. And she does still think about what ifs. And she pictures this alternative future for herself all the time and you know it's so it is interesting that she doesn't communicate this to her best friend and similarly with Aubrey like Aubrey doesn't really communicate or vocalize any of her trauma outrightly to people there's Mm -hmm. there's parts where she at the very least like hints at it like where it's clear that that's what she's saying without her explicitly saying what happened to her, to Luke. But um, this, you can see the way that, like, these traumas and, like, especially if they're regarding sex, like, there's this, I think, shame attached to it where they're, 
they're not comfortable sharing these things with other people and it's totally understandable but you know it's all I almost felt like oh I just like wish that they could be there for each other in that pain in like more direct way but it's I just think it's done in such a light-handed way that it like it just seemed normal kind of like you said like it's just it makes sense that they never would have talked about it as much as it makes sense like why wouldn't they talk about it I don't know does that make sense yeah totally I mean I think it's it's one of the genius parts of like how Britt Bennett wrote this especially with her having the three different perspectives so you're Mm -hmm. getting kind of a mix of Luke Nadia and Aubrey and I think such a big part of this novel is like the lack of communication between characters. Mm-hmm. So not only Luke, Nadia and Aubrey and like their missteps in communication between each other and all sorts of groupings, but also, you know, Nadia with her father. I think that's a mm-hmm. big part of it is like the lack of communication, especially when it comes to her mother's death and how they're both feeling about that. And I think you know, she ties a little bit of like that idea of him being a Marine and the military into it and like the moving, Mm -hmm. like there's just so many different layers to peel away from this. And I think it's so well done of showing like just how layered and complicated lives are for people and how it's so easy for outsiders of a situation to say, I mean, I think a big topic to look at in this is just how people talk about abortion. It's so easy for people on the outside to say what should and shouldn't be done and what people think and don't think. And I think that, but, and I think that's an easy one to point to, but I think Britt Bennett does it really well of pointing out what that's like for, you know, grief and suicide and, but then also just like our whole military and, and the Mm -hmm. idea of moving people around and, and what it's like to be you know, a minority and what it must like, like all these different things. She just ties in all these layers of things that are so present that we don't talk about because they're so uncomfortable. Right. And they're so hard to talk about Yeah, and how long reaching those effects are. And she, she takes these like broad views and really focuses it for you in these specific relationships and these specific people. So you can relate to it, whether it's you and a girlfriend, you and a boyfriend, you and a parent, like Mm -hmm. she, I mean, you and a mother, you know, she really, I think just shows this lack of like listening to each other and discourse and how that lack of it. I mean, we're all, all are talking all the time on social media and, and we're talking and we're spewing things, but like this idea of actually communing with each other is hard and challenging and maybe lacking. And I think she really shows through like one specific topic, the topic of abortion and how far reaching that is, like what this lack of communication does. I mean, like everything kind of blows up at the end of the novel when Nadia's father mm. kind of figures out what happened because he finds these like prints like they're like the babies they're like um like the, i think it's almost like a keychain or something but it's like these gold baby feet yeah and he he figures out like what has happened and confronts luke the pastor's luke's father and it just kind of becomes known and that kind of becomes the end really of this congregation this well this and church. and this like budding relationship between Nadia and her father which has grown so much because she's been there to take care of him and like she's assumed this 
I mean, this is a whole other conversation to get into, but she's kind of assumed her mother's role a little bit in the way that she cares for her father, like a nurturing motherly role, even though he she's the daughter. Um, but she she even says that she feels like she's had to assume that role for both of them. And yeah. so, she, but this relationship that was really tense, like, has kind of blossomed into this other thing where it seems like they're really making headway and that he's like appreciative and she's able to be there and like provide service for him in a way that I didn't feel like was something she resented. It seemed like it was something that mattered to her and she cared about it. Yes. Um, And then it all comes to this thing that happened to her when, you know, like 15 years ago, like 12, 15 years ago, when her dad finds out. And now it's almost like she's thrown back into that, like, 17-year-old's body of, like, shame and dealing with that again and having to relive that whole experience and feel the judgment from her parent again with something like that. And she – and then she leaves, you know? And, like, that's – I mean, there's this assumption that she kind of comes back and hopefully it's better. But, like, there's – um that's, like, a pretty – sad way to I don't know for that relationship to come to a head it's just it's it was really like sad to read um but so how did you like since bringing that up like so for so for everybody if you haven't read it I'm just wanting to read it but anyway (laughs) um it ends with kind of Nadia leaving like leaving Oceanside area and she does like make efforts with Aubrey um, goes to see her in person. And and you, I, I felt like I got the sense of there was a possibility for a reconciliation and a new kind of relationship. I think it, I think the ending is very open-ended. The ending is very open-ended as far as where Nadia's relationship goes with her father, where it goes with Luke, where it goes with Aubrey, where Aubrey and Luke go. I mean, you know, that Aubrey's pregnant. It's obvious she's going to carry this baby to term. Her and Luke are still married. There, there's hints for a reconciliation, um, but everything is very open ended. And so I, I just kind of wanted to get your insight to how, how, how did you feel mm-hmm. with that ending? Like, did it lead? Like, how did it, how did it mesh for you with the rest of the novel? Um, I mean, I still am thinking about, like, the last couple sentences. Like, I feel like that's almost separate than what I think about, like, plot-wise, the end of the novel. Um, but I I believe that she reconciles with Aubrey and that she's okay. Because she's seen driving in the area and she has, like, a Barbie in the front seat. And um, I choose to believe that that's because they've reconciled and maybe it's the baby's birthday and she's gone to Mm -hmm. give the gift and that they're going to be okay. Um, I still, so like the last little bit of the book is, is done through the perspective of the mothers. So this is about like what they've seen and like what they've kind of gossiped about and talked about. Um, But it is kind of written in a way that it's more like they're kind of like, kind of reminded me of, like, the muses of, like, these almost, like, all-knowing but not all-knowing, like, hovering birds, you know, that just, like, see everything but don't really see what's going on inside, maybe. Um, Yeah. But it talks about how, yeah, that they, they see her. Agnes swore she saw a pink Barbie bag on the passenger seat. 
Um, we imagined her walking up the steps with the present and kneeling in front of the girl, a girl who wouldn't exist if her own child did. And then she disappeared around the corner, and as quickly as we'd seen her, she was gone. We will never know why she returned, but we still think about her. We see the span of her life unspooling in colorful threads, and we chase it, wrapping it around our hands as more tumbles out. She's her mother's age now, double her age, our age. You're our mother. We're climbing inside of you. I just, I mean, I think, I really liked the idea that that's what was happening, that their relationship is okay. And I liked this idea of, like, that ending being a kind of, like, forever ending of things moving on and progressing and, like, her aging and becoming the age of her mother and then doubling her age and then maybe dying and then like and then it's our turn and like this idea of this continuing to go because I think this story when you think about it the I it's, thought this book it's was, all about a continuation of life like yes. even though the focus of this is novel is abortion this act of an abortion no and I yeah. think it's really um I think she really hammers that home in. It was like the line right before what you started reading. Yes. But she says, we imagined her walking up the steps with the present and kneeling in front of the girl, a girl who mm. wouldn't exist if her own child did. Yeah. So it's that idea of like, even though there's this central act that kind of ties everything in the novel of this abortion that Nadia has, yeah. which is a ending of a life that, there is this continuation on of it. Like it's this whole idea of cyclical things. And I think it's just, she ties it in so nicely. It's so beautifully at done. At the end. Well, and yeah. it, like, I mean, I think it's amazing that the book starts with an abortion because I think that like people assume that that's such a, I, I don't want to say it's not life altering because you do see how it alters these lives and how they think about things going forward. But not but in, it's, and not in the way that I think is, but is not talked in, about when it comes to like yes. when people who are who are adamant on making that something that can't happen, the way that it's talked about, it's not it I think she just gives such a nuanced real view of like what that is without yes. making it like she makes such a point by making not a not much of a point about it in the novel. Does that make sense? Like how she writes about it and how it is discussed mm -hmm. and how it is centered in this novel is done in such a like it's just such a nuanced way. Well, like I think it's, it's just I, so genuine and real and like makes a point in and of itself. Yes. And I think also because, the, you know, abortion is such a hot button topic in this country that it's hard to feel like you can even talk about it without some sort of like agenda coming out of like pro-choice, not being pro-choice, you know, like um, all of these, all of these different, like really complicated and honestly very like aggressively black and white ways of looking at abortion. Um kind of spring forth but I think this book does a really good job of being like well no it's not like it's like a fairy tale and that she's perfectly okay it's still something she thinks about like any life choice she's thinking about what would have happened if she'd made a different choice but that's the same for like I said like any life choice I think about that of like well, what if I'd gone to a different school like how would my life be different and I still imagine that in this case it's just about an abortion but I think she also does that um 
in the sympathy that I think she really gives and like the perspective that she gives for Luke, who is the yes, father. I and love how she wrote Luke. I thought it was Such brilliant. A great, I think I think I I can genuinely say like I stepped into until you have the first chapter that is from Luke's perspective. I very much I mean, of course, based on my own experience. I was like, fuck and this my guy. Own outlook. Oh, totally hated luke yes i was like fuck was this like, asshole at this party like being like i gave you it, money yeah like what a dick and what it a wasn't it it wasn't an immediate like it wasn't a trite like it was a genuine just there was no i i can see also still not liking luke yeah but it's like if you just take the time to like listen and read this novel and really do what you're supposed to do, which is like really see all these different perspectives and have this empathy and like see this, this continuation of life, even amongst death. Cause it's not just about this abortion. It's about her mother's death and like her continuing on. Like if you can just really see that you are open to seeing Luke as this full, well-rounded person as well. And be, I mean, all the characters, I mean, you, I really felt connected to all of them. I did her too. father, her, you know, Nadia, Aubrey, Luke, Luke's mother and father, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, Aubrey's sister and her sister's partner. Like they were all just such good characters, but like in a way that it grew on you, not because you didn't like them at first and then you had to, but more of like, you just kept getting more and more from it. And it was just, like, developing a genuine connection, friendship with people. Like, it's just so well written that way. Like, you really, I feel like, got to know these characters in a way that felt real. And, I mean, this novel is not super long. No. And you, I mean, you definitely don't get, like, a ton of time with one specific character. It's pretty, I mean, I think more Nadia than others. I think it's more Nadia-focused. I would, but I would say, like, maybe, like... it's it's like but just by 30, a little 30, bit. 30, like 30 not, and then 10% random people. Yeah, like not nothing that I would say, oh, she's the main character. But I feel like I got more of a focus from Nadia than I did from yeah. the others. Yeah. But more in a way of like, well, that's how you meet them. You know what I mean? Like she's, she's just the, the thread. conduit. Yeah, yeah. She's the common thread. So that you get a little bit more of her. But like all of the characters I just thought were so great and so well written. And like, you know, I loved the ending in that it lets me kind of help imagine like what life is like for them. Like I, like I really was interested in what happens and how do they feel and how do they get through this and like Mm -hmm. being very invested in not a voyeuristic way, but in a, like I'm emotionally connected to these people kind of way. Yeah. Which is just so nice that you get when you get that from, from characters. Cause some of it's more just voyeuristic for me. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I don't connect with them as like real people, but like I really connected with, the characters in this novel and so there's like a genuine interest yeah I thought it was really interesting because this book is I mean in a way it is kind of like this love triangle that's going on a little bit because of that affair um but it's also really again like I really loved how this book plays with perspectives and assumptions because you see them make assumptions about the other characters and then like the next chapter is like what's really going on in this marriage or or like how do they really feel about it and um, I was really impressed because this book didn't give me strong feelings as far as what I wanted to have happen. Does that make sense? Like, I was not ever, like, pro, 
Luke and Nadia getting back together. But I was also sure. not super pro Luke and Aubrey getting like back together either because there were problems in that relationship that we saw. And I th- just I thought I think that's really impressive that she managed to write about like these three characters and their entwining relationships without making me feel like a strong impulse as far as like oh I hope they end up together or like I hope this happens to these characters and yeah same thing I was like I'd be happy with kind of either of those endings that makes sense like yes I think part of that comes from I love how she wrote the relationship between Nadia and Aubrey yes it felt so real and genuine to me and nothing was cheap about it like I mean the women spoke about each other, these friends, mm-hmm. which they were friends first as a like they would admit not like I don't know if I want to say jealousies, but things they admired and kind of envied in the other person, mm-hmm. which I mean, you see that a lot in some friendships, right? Like there's like there's things about you that I genuinely like really admire and want to emulate, but it's not in a jealousy way. Mm-hmm. It's like and I feel that about quite a few of my friends mm-hmm. because it's like that's something that's like attractive to you about that other person. And so, and I feel like you really got that relationship with Nadia and Aubrey, but there wasn't, I mean, obviously they both betrayed each other Yeah, in ways. I mean, Nadia, obviously she betrayed Aubrey very blatantly by having an affair with Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but in some ways Aubrey betrayed Nadia and like how she did not communicate I think some feelings and like not it's not the same kind of betrayal, but like they both were. Well, and I think people felt betrayed even when they weren't like directly purposely betrayed. Yeah. Um, like, you know, the fact that Nadia never told Aubrey that Luke got her pregnant and that she had an abortion yes. and she still had lingering feelings for him. That doesn't make it Aubrey's fault that she ended up with him. But you still get this feeling from Nadia that she feels kind of slighted. Or yeah. there's like a sense of betrayal because the guy who got her pregnant well, is I, now married to she, her girl, like her she best already girlfriend. felt. I think she felt less than than Aubrey. Yes. Like there were so many things she admired admired in Aubrey. Like I think she really betrays. You know, Aubrey is almost set on this pedestal of like goodness. Yeah, which is so interesting because Aubrey, you can. T- I mean, obviously feels horrible about herself, mostly because of the sexual like abuse that she endured as a child. Like, yeah. There's nothing that makes you feel more like less of a worthy person than something like that. And so she, you know, she's got this friend that I think feels less than Aubrey, whereas Aubrey feels less about herself. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. that's the thing. Like, you see, all of these are just wounded people. And I loved how she wrote the relationship between Nadia and Aubrey because it never came across as like this, like, cheap shot you know cat fighting no shit it was very very real and really showed this like genuine love like that's why it was such an interesting relationship between all three of them because there was love there was love and i between all three of them that was so genuine and real and meaningful i mean that's the thing she wrote luke so well yes i mean he does shitty things but like he you can like it i didn't feel sorry for any of the characters i just felt really like empathetic and related to them it's just yeah. she writes it so so well like i, I mean, think bow and well, down i know I, I think that those interesting like those relationships are interesting too because you see how like they kind of use each other and i don't mean that in like a negative way necessarily but they yeah. use each other to fill they do. voids in their life so like aubrey 
and and Nadia both have really big maternal voids in their life. Nadia's mm-hmm. mother died, and Aubrey's mother um, was abusive in the sense that she did not protect her daughter and then did not believe her daughter and then was not supportive of her daughter as she was yeah. going through this abuse. So she she didn't have this mother. She had her older sister, but she did not have her mother there. And so they both, like, I think, really connect on that idea of being motherless in their, like, as they connected to each other, and they both filled that void for each other. Like, I think, like, there are just some moments between them that are so intimate in such a maternal way, even though they're not yeah. actually maternal, but, like, these ideas that, like, as someone's falling asleep, like, putting your hand on their back and giving them a little back rub or a back tickle as you kind of, like, try to, to like, lull them to sleep or comfort them. Well, there's you know? that idea of, I, I mean, I think this whole idea of communication, right, is so prevalent in the novel. And it's so interesting because these characters have such strong nonverbal communication with each other. Like, that's one of the benefits of, like, Nadia and Aubrey's relationship is they're able to be around each other, right, and Mm -hmm. have feelings and not have to, like, communicate them. Mm -hmm. Like, they'll comfort each other knowing that, like, there's something going on, but, like, we're not talking about it. And that's a, a comfort for them and something they need because they can't verbalize it. But then it's also, like, their downfall, right? Yeah. Like, they don't, actually communicate with each other some things that would maybe have prevented some issues or resolve some issues, you know, just, but, but then they're both able to be around each other and not have to like make themselves that vulnerable and still get that reassurance and that care. Like you said, like they're not Mm -hmm. talking, but like they're sharing a bed together. They're sharing a space together. They're being physically comforting with each other. Like, so it's, and, and it's interesting like, that their strengths and their downfalls are one and the same. And they're each other's, you know, like, person that they go to. So even though Nadia is out traveling the world and she's seeing all these spectacular things, which is something that Aubrey secretly wants, you know, but right. she, um, you know, she's living this, like, very kind of, like, cosmopolitan, interesting life. She's dating interesting people. You know, she's go. She's doing all of this. But then when she, her dad is sick, you know, she – in this life that she has, she doesn't feel like she has anybody she can really fall onto. So she's, like, dating somebody, but he's not really, like, supportive. He'll take her to the airport, but he's not going to go try to be there for her, you know. And she doesn't expect him to. But there's, like – she goes to the hospital and then, she, you know, she says that she wakes up or she gets there. I think it's when she wakes up and – when she wakes up, Aubrey's already there. And it's because she remembered that when she was, like, upset and having a breakdown in the airport, scared about what was happening to her dad, that she had, like, by reflex called Aubrey. And Aubrey didn't need to have any explanation, didn't need any, like, there was no question she was going to show up and she was going to be there. Um, And I thought that was like that natural instinct like that person that you have that is your that you naturally reach to the phone for I think that that it was just written very beautifully and it kind of makes some of those um those betrayals I guess like it may makes them cut a little deeper but it makes them heal faster like at the same time yeah it, no I, t- I totally get what you're saying I think it's it's such an interesting like 
you know, I think I think a lot of people look at abortion as um, a, a, this thing about a choice, right? Mm-hmm. Pro-choice, mm. you know, like, and I think that this novel really touches on all these choices that people make as far as like, what is my life going to be like? Mm-hmm. Not only, you know, this big choice that Nadia makes, but then like Luke's choice and Aubrey's choice and like, but even like the side characters, just like how all their, their choices have these like domino effects and how that's just that's just part of it. I think she just addresses so beautifully. Yeah. Like what like choices are like on a daily basis for people and how hard it is and how also it's not the same for everybody. Right. Like I think she very nicely and subtly touches on how things look different because of who Nadia and Aubrey and Luke are Mm -hmm. and their skin color and what Mm -hmm. their life is like. And like, but she does it in such a way that like, it's just also it was so realistic. It was really like it was realistic, and it, like those those extra pressures that they feel are, like are so subtle and natural in the way that they're yeah. discussed. Like, like it was abortion. so well written as a teenager perspective too. Yes. like I like sometimes things don't ring true that way. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. reading, but like so well done of like this is what these perspectives are and they all made sense and I think that's why it's so easy to relate to these characters is none of it seems like someone who has no idea what they're talking about pretending like it's yeah it's all just very very true yeah it I just yeah I really like well done how she does it she's great I really I I got that out of not to talk too much about her other novel but I got that a lot out of the vanishing half too like I think she's really able to like connect with her characters and find ways for you to connect with them in a way that is is just very upfront and real and nothing is patronizing about it or cliche about it like yeah really well written like modern like tone yeah I, I mean I well that's one thing too I really liked about um is I liked that this book was modern like mm-hmm. you know like I like it's not like firmly and super explicitly in this like era that we're talking about although there are some like pop cultural references here and there but it's clearly like 21st century like we do yeah. we're firmly in that time but I thought that that was important because I think especially now <laughs> like abortion's always been a hot topic but like it's like even it's just grown to be such a significant issue that i like this version that like the story of an abortion that's happening that's with someone that could that's out there today you know like this isn't yeah. just Nadia's yeah. story this is like a lot of young girl stories right now and um I like that she she didn't try to, like, isolate the story from, like, the present because she, like, she puts it in the, in the present. And I think that's important because I think sometimes when we talk about serious topics that are serious now, I've seen a lot of authors put those stories in the past, even if it's, like, not that firmly in the past, but, like, 50s, 60s, like, even the 80s yeah. or 90s or something. But I like that this is... Like, this is supposed to be relevant. This is about supposed to be somebody who is, like, alive today that you could know, that you could pass on the street. And I think that's important. Um, I also really liked um, 
one of the like other layers that um, she adds to Nadia and her experience getting an abortion is getting an abortion as a young black girl in America and this pressure that she feels and this judgment that she feels from her own community specifically real or imaginary I like that's not for me to decide but like this this pressure and judgment that she feels from who she describes as the dreadlocked nurse and um, the way that she's not coddled or like super supported supported by that nurse when she's there and how she's like jealous of like some of these other girls that she sees at the clinic and who are presumably a lot of them white you know and the way that they're being treated by the other nurses and um versus how she's treated and how there's this other this extra barrier of not wanting to be a stereotype because she doesn't want to be a statistic, you know, of like yeah. just another young woman of color who gets herself in trouble and then has to find right. her way out of it. Like she doesn't want to be a statistic. She just wants to be herself. And like the the experience is hard enough to process as a 17-year-old girl. But adding, I think, that layer so nicely and realistically, like – I just thought that that was very well done. Um, I have to ask. So, like, one thing we haven't talked about is, you know, we've talked a little bit about Nadia and Luke's relationship. um, But, you know, Aubrey kind of carries on this. um, I wouldn't call it, like, an affair, but it's, like, kind of an emotional affair with this Marine that she is writing and, like, has been writing for a really long time. So she meets him. She's hanging out with Nadia. And they're on the beach. This is, like, right before she's going to get married. And she meets – they meet these two men who um, – one of them is, like, a little bit older. He's, like, 28. And Aubrey really connects with him. And, like, they really connect with each other. But she's engaged. But they she still kind of has this, like, really intense physical – kind of desire for him which is really rare for her she's clearly like kind of afraid of that and um for good reasons and but she has this like physical experience with him where like they go into the bathroom and they like make out and but they stop themselves before they go too far and then he gets her email from Nadia and they you know she she goes to the point where she's like mailing him care packages and they're like Sending really detailed, lovely letters to each other. and Yeah, she's having what I – I mean, I would say it's like an emotional affair. Yeah, and it's very secretive. You know, she obviously she's not, like, telling her husband that she's writing this Marine. Yeah. And then – He ends up finding out, like, yeah. and she doesn't hide it. But, like, yeah. yeah, it's not something she's upfront about. But I find – I found her – the way that she describes, like, her feelings, especially regarding, like, her physical attraction or, like, physical sensations – really interesting in the way that she talks about Miller, who is the Marine, versus how she talks about her husband, Luke. And, like, that dynamic was just really interesting because she is very, like, because of her sexual trauma, there's, like, she has a lot of fear around sex. And then sex to her with Luke is kind of, is painful. Like, she talks about how it hurts and she feels physical pain, but she still wants him. But 
when she talks about Miller, even though they don't do anything physical with each other, like, she talks about how, like, seeing him or, like, thinking about him, like, sends an electric pulse through her body, you know, and how she feels, like, tight and wound up and, like, how when he touches her, she really doesn't want to let go. And I found – I just – I found that dynamic really interesting in, like, what role, I guess – like Luke is filling for her then at that point because it seems like it's like she wants to be that for him and she wants that kind of relationship for herself but she can't like get there with him really and um but then you know she talks about how like her favorite thing in the world is just to like be in bed with him and to like be held by him and to smell him and like I, I I found their relationship interesting in that way where, like, that physical connection is really lacking. Like, he doesn't feel desired by her, and she feels pain and, like, general resentment towards sex in general. And um, looking at that and then comparing it to, you know, like, Luke and Nadia's, like, physical relationship I think is really interesting. Yeah, I agree. I think there's so much of this idea of, like, shame in Luke and Aubrey's relationship. You know, like, Mm -hmm. her, like, deep internal shame for herself, which I think contributes to making it, like, almost impossible for her to connect physically with Luke. You know, that comes from all of her trauma of, like, feeling unworthy as a person. Like, to have that happen to you, Mm -hmm. like, it's very hard to have a self-esteem. And I think then Luke has such shame from everything that happened with Nadia And so it's almost like, it's just interesting how, and then, you know, Nadia obviously has shame that she's dealing with from her choices and her relationship. So it's interesting to see how this like shame that's untalked about, Mm -hmm. like all of these ways to feel bad about oneself just like perpetuates like this more misery. And well, and it's, it's, I think too, like there's subtle comments that are made that like people are making to each other that they're not realizing is affecting the other person in such a drastic way. Yes. Like on their wedding night, you know, like, their – like, the anticipation on Aubrey and Luke's wedding night is palpable because she's been saving herself basically for that night. This would be the first night that they've ever been intimate with each other. And, like, you can feel, you know, Luke's, like, excitement, not just for, like, the sex, but he talks about how in that moment, like, he feels sex change for him. Like, in the way that yeah. he feels – really emotionally connected to her and like that love and that lust like is really coming together for him but then like right before they start to be intimate she comes at him with you know like I know you and Nadia had a thing so she knows that they had a thing that they went out a few times or something she still doesn't know at that point that he got her pregnant but you know to bring that up at that time she doesn't realize that that's like a sore spot for him, you know, but well, it's, and what I, I to like connect to that, like one of the things that I really liked in the novel is how, I, I don't know how to describe the voice because both, both Nadia and Luke do this in their chapters, but they talk about their unborn child mm-hmm. and they think about that. They both kind of look at him as like a son and yeah. they talk about this, um, potential, potential, yeah life and they kind of have this imagining and I think I loved I loved how she did that because I feel like it really 
gave weight to this like idea that like while they made this choice not to like have this child, that doesn't mean they like were pro killing a life. Right. Does that make sense? Like there's right. such this idea of like if you are pro choice that you are against life. And I feel like it really makes this nice point that even though they made this choice to not have this child, that doesn't mean that that child, that life, that energy doesn't exist somewhere still. Right. Well, it exists in them. Yes. And they, they talk about it in such a beautiful and not hokey. I mean, I didn't find one hokey, trite, corny, cheesy, mm-hmm. obnoxious, patronizing, condescending sentence in this entire book. I agree. Which I think is challenging to do when you talk about topical issues, when you're talking about relationships. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just so real. And that doesn't even... I mean, I say I feel like all the other times I've said that about something, it's like not communic- communicating the real feeling. But like, it's... Well, no, it's j- I think it's... So I think it's interesting because this book is, you know, there are certain things that are said in this book that I think the, in some ways, the pro-choice community, I don't think actual people feel this way, but I think some people would be like, oh, we don't need, like, another story about abortion where, like, she's still thinking about it years later. But if, like, of course she's still thinking about it years later. Like, she still has, like, relationships with these people. (laughs) Like, so, like, I think it's, there's stuff on both sides that I think like when you're talking about it from like a black and white political perspective in a way that like both sides would kind of be like this is not the story we want to hear um you see you see that actually with like the way that the um that uh, the woman in the roe v wade case was treated you know and how she was kind of used as like her story was used as a pawn by both sides she was kind of manipulated by the pro-choice community and she was but she was also very manipulated by the pro-life community that um took her kind of like feelings of of like which big quotes on that pro-life yeah, because if yeah. you say you're pro-life but you also don't support like yes, universal yeah. health care maternity leave and anyway so off the soapbox but like yes. yeah big big pro-life quote there anti-abortion anyway, groups i would say like yeah. they really like used that woman as well and she was she was used as like she's like this very real person who had very real difficult experiences and you know was forced to carry that baby to term by the way and um like had all of these repercussions in her life and was used as a pawn so sometimes i think like these stories are used as like I don't know. Like, I think sometimes yeah, no, people I get what you're saying. use these stories as, like, a way to push an agenda. But I think that this book doesn't do that. This book just I, uses this. I totally agree. Like, the, use, this book like, uses the story yeah. to just, like, give you a perspective of what this situation might be like for one and person. And I, I love just how upfront it was about everything. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like there's really, like, I wouldn't say, I mean, maybe a little bit with Luke, but not necessarily a sense of regret, but just uh, what if. Which is just life. I mean, I spend way too much time in my day thinking of what ifs. Yeah. Like, it's just it's part totally of our normal. human nature. And I I love how she presented 
everyone's reactions and feelings they were all different to these experiences but all valid yeah and like, like even down to her and even down to her father yeah and luke's parents that's the other thing too yeah is and like other people's perspectives on situations that affect the community because there are issues in the community and it makes you think about bigger issues like it just it i really just think it did such a great job of like showing how everything is such a dominant how we all just affect each other so much and and that idea and how much pressure that puts and how much more empathy we need to have towards each other because we all affect each other so much and I just thought it was such a great she did such a great job of doing that and letting you see all the perspectives from all the different characters in such believable ways like there's not a character I didn't like in this novel I agree agree. even if I didn't like their choices there's no villains in this story like and I like too that it's not just like of of like this tale where it's like we need to be more empathetic even though I think that's what she is saying but I think that it she's saying that you can be that it's like successful like the success is possible you know like this image sure. of her going to that girl's birthday party and like connecting with Aubrey and Luke again in in the support of their baby you know I think that like that is really a hopeful image and I think it shows that you can go through all of this, but, like, that doesn't have to end anything. Like, those relationships can persevere, and everybody is capable for no matter which side they came from of, like, having space and empathy for the other person if you love and you care about them enough and that, like, if those relationships were healthy. Because these relationships, as complicated as they were, I think that they were really healthy. And Aubrey and and Nadia specifically like I think that they really they had some stuff that they weren't being open with each other about which you can totally understand why they weren't but like that love is so deep with them and I just really like this idea that like all of this life shit that happens to them that like that that isn't the end and that like they can continue to be there for each other and be supportive of one another especially you know like this book is about mothers and like lack of a mother figure and like what it means to be a mother and the question of like do I want to be a mother all of these things are kind of like brought up and then you know finally like Aubrey becomes a mother and what does that mean for somebody who didn't have a good mom you know and like how do you learn to be a mother and I think that they kind of, like, teach each other. They've taught each other a lot of, like, how they're going to parent. And maybe Nadia will have, like, we don't know, but maybe she has a kid down the road or something. But, like, I think this feeling that they're there for each other and that they're that support group and community and mother to each other so that they can be better mothers, like, I really just love that idea. Yeah, I agree. I lo- I loved the pictures painted in this novel of community and the different kinds of community i think she touches on it with the military community i think she touches on it with obviously the church community Mm. and and just the neighborhood like i I think she does a really great job of letting you see all of these different communities and how they all are fostered and also what different like social events issues affect them and like how important Mm. it is to have community and um you know, how, how far reaching can be when you, you don't even are aware of it. I, I loved how she talks about in the novel, 
after Nadia moves back to take care of her father, she becomes more involved in her church community. Yeah. She kind of takes over her father's role. He has this truck, right? And everybody wants a friend that has a truck because you need help moving and you need help yep. carrying things. And he he does that for the for the church community in the neighborhood. And so she kind of takes over by doing those same things with the truck and bringing these mothers to church, giving them rides, taking them places. And I loved the chapters kind of going through that developing I guess relationships, but it's more of just like this, like shared knowledge and communication and understanding of each other's lives, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. like, uh, I, I loved how she talked about it because I thought it was done in a really real way. Cause that's how you build it. It's, it's through like service to mm-hmm. others and helping mm-hmm. your community. And that's how you actually learn what people are going through. And yep. I, I loved how she talked about it in the novel. I mean, not to be super cheesy about it, but like it really reminded me of how important like community roles are yes. and how insular we become. And like it was great to show this, like there's nothing wrong with it. And that's important too. But just how, what kind of creatures we are. She really just gives yeah. this nice analysis of humanity mm-hmm. in this novel, like touches on so many aspects of it. Yeah. And it, it, this is novel. It's not that big. It's not. It's, it's what, what does it come to? It comes to a whopping like 275. It's under 300 pages. Like I think it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So if you guys didn't read it, I mean like what the hell? Read it. If we haven't convinced you, um, go back and read it. I actually like this is a book that I think I would read again too you know like I think that there's a lot here I really enjoyed reading it um I just 10 out of 10 out of my book I think this is just really great yeah really good pick Sadie thank you um good job um so yeah if you haven't go pick up a copy Mm -hmm. from your local bookstore and read The Mothers by Britt Bennett totally recommend um our next book is Woman of Light so it's the first novel from Kali Fahadro Astin. Um, I'm excited to talk about this. I'm all done with it, um, and I enjoyed it, but there are things I definitely want to, like, get your opinion on that I want to discuss. So okay. can't wait to talk about with this with you guys. So this will be – that will be the next two episodes that we do. We'll be discussing that book. I will put on Instagram where we're going to split it because I think we're going to split it. Okay. Sadie and I will discuss off the pod. But, um, yeah, it's – and that's not a super long one either, so you can get through the whole thing too. But so we will be discussing that for the next two episodes and for our next episode, we'll discuss what we're going to be doing next so that you nice. can get that ordered and get that read. So um, also watch The Bear yeah. on Hulu <laughs> if you haven't. Read Joan by Catherine Chen. And Vladimir. Um, oh my gosh, Vladimir. I need to finish it <laughs> like on audio. Totally have to read Vladimir. Um, anything else? You didn't give any recs. Do you want to give a rec? Honestly, like, I've just been, like, so busy. I haven't been watching anything new. Like, I've just been, like... You've had, like, a lot of work and social stuff. Like, you've been busy. Yeah. That's okay. I'll I'll take care of it for us. It's, like, it's so funny what having, like, a puppy is doing. Like, I can't imagine having a child... But, like, even just having a puppy, I feel like I'm, like, I don't have time. It affects your social life, doesn't it? It affects my social life. It affects, like, me even just being able to relax. Like, to just sit down and read a book, actually, is a lot harder because I'm just being interrupted. And then also, like, my anxiety of, like, wait, I need to check on her. Like, what if she's peeing in a corner, even though she's a really good girl? Yeah, that's like having a child. Yeah, uh yeah, totally. So, yeah. Now you know. Yeah, I've just been, like, yeah, rewatching stuff. I've, like, already seen 
a million times. And then Brian and I did just watch The Northman this weekend, though. Okay, I thought about watching that because I used to think Alexander Skarsgård was really hot, like yeah. in True Blood yes. days. Yes, Like, yes. I very much enjoyed him in True Blood. And I don't know why, but I find him very attractive. Um, because um, he is, objectively. He's like a six foot five Norse god. Like, of course, he's attractive. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's he's an attractive man. Um, so I was gonna watch that, and then I don't know why. I think I remember reading something about the whole like Nicole Kidman, like there's some incest subplot or something. I don't know. I just feel like I got the whole gist of the movie or the show, or whatever, from watch from like reading reviews. So then I haven't. But yeah, tell me all about um, it. Um. Brian and I, it was, I mean, it's a weird movie. Like, if you've seen Robert Eggers' movies before, like, I don't know if you ever saw The Lighthouse with, um, no. oh, yeah. So, like, that one's really good, um, but very weird. Um, so, he's done, okay. he did The Lighthouse with Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe, which is like they're the only two characters in the whole movie, and it's about them going insane in a lighthouse in Nova Scotia. And then um, he did The Witch, which is a really great movie that is kind of about witchcraft and, like, Salem era. Kind of think about that. So it's, like, this family that's basically excommunicated from this, like, Puritan group. And they go and they live outside of the community in the woods, like, by the woods. And stuff starts happening. And, like, it's just a – it's a really good movie. So this is, I think, his third. And – it's very visually stunning. It's very creepy. Like, the acting is good. It's unsettling. Like, the whole movie is unsettling. Um, the incest, like, Brian and I, there was, like, this moment. I will say that there is this moment, but it is only a moment in the movie that we were like, what? Like, what the fuck just happened? But it's a very brief moment. Um but it's very weird and kind of out of pocket. And then, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I think it was a really interesting movie. We enjoyed it. But it also, it is kind of like, I don't know if I if I gained anything new out of that movie. Like, it, it's hmm. kind of like a mix of, I want to say, Hamlet and then also any other, like, male revenge fantasy movie you've ever seen. But it's, like, Vikings. And, um... But How I think often does he have his shirt off? Um, I would say if you're wanting... Like, give me a percentage. Okay, so it's less that it's off, but it's wet and clingy to his body. There's a lot of... Okay. There's a lot of him, um like swinging an axe you know there's like there's like some like hot physical labor that I would say goes on and there's some very cool fighting scenes although it's not that I find those particularly like attractive it's just that he's attractive when he does it because physically he's very like disarming I see um but there's it's a it's a weird movie but like it's kind of it's I will say it is very, like, revenge fantasy, but at the same time, it subverts the, like, what is being avenged. Like, I I think that part is really interesting. So, um... Well, now I'll just go watch it. It's fine. It was good. It's really fucking weird, though. It's weird. 
Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I'll watch that. I can't recommend it. I recommend The Bear. I recommend Joan. Yeah. Yeah. And Vladimir. Um, and I recommend The Mothers. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you guys read it, liked it, enjoyed it. If not, please go pick it up. It really is a great novel. This is one of my favorites that we've read. Me too. Me va- too. The Vanishing Half is great, too. So make, you know, fight, fight both. I don't know. Um, we'll be back next week with yes. our first episode discussing Woman of Light. Uh, we'll put on the podcast soon what parts, but like I said, it's not a long novel, so hopefully you can get through it before then. Um, so yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah. I'm excited to be back. Yeah. So thanks, thanks everybody yeah. for your patience while we had a little break. Well, and thanks for joining us for this supersized episode. This is a little bit longer than our typical because we're talking about the whole damn book, so I hope you stuck yeah. through. We had the best time, and I can't wait for the next episode. Okay, bye everybody. Bye. Bye.